Thank you all very much. Um, remember a story about my um, father and uh, his uh, intervention um, in the uh, interaction between my siblings and myself. There were four of us, and um, this was a long, long time ago. And so if you don't believe this um, happened, uh, th- this was how things worked, um, ask your parents or grandparents, and they will tell you this is the case, that there used to be a day, used to be a day when you only had one television in your house. Yeah. <clears throat> that used to be the case. And actually, actually, and the, oh, there, now there are a bunch of screens, but they were on windows. Okay? So... Ask them, they'll tell you that that's really the case, okay? And we, we lived in a, well, you know, a split-level house, you know, sort of a top store, then a middle, and then a bottom, you know, sort of that way. And Dad would be up top, and the, the, the one TV was down on the, the bottom. Um, uh, and the, uh, we would argue frequently about what channel we were going to watch. Now, again, one other thing, this will really mess with many of you. But there were only four channels then, only four, the three major networks and public, okay? So that was, Fox wasn't even around then, okay? So, you know, I'm you know, sorry to go back into ancient history. But, so we would, and, you know, and, there, and it, when it came on, it came on. You know, there was no DVDs, not even VCR. You don't even know what VCRs are. So like, there, no way, no way of recording it. You know, no, play bla- no playback or Netflix or anything like that. So when that show came on, you had to watch when your show was on. So it was fighting words over what TV channel was going to be on. Okay, And so that, that would happen, and we would be arguing over that. And of course, we'd miss the show that anybody wanted to watch because we were arguing over that. And then Dad would cry. And may- now, this maybe you can relate to. Y'all better get along. Don't make me come down there. That you can all relate to. And uh, often he, he would come down and sort of strong arm. Um, it was, wasn't peace at all, but he would make us be quiet, basically. And, and it was peace for him and what he was, he was doing. But on a couple times, in, in, uh, um, he was caught up in the spirit... And the, the, the wisdom of the moment, he would bring with him a game or food, um, I remember. And something that would draw our attention together to that one thing. And at least for a moment, we would be united in that one thing. And I thought, you know, that is a picture of Christmas. God saying, I'm going to come down and I'm going to bring peace among the warring factions of the world. And that's what Jesus and what we celebrate at Christmas. I mean, an impossible task. I mean, this shows you how challenging true peace and unity is that God himself, the creator of the universe, had to become human and come among us to make that peace. But that has been the divine design since before time. That he knew he was coming 
God the Son in human form to rescue the world and to bring all kinds of people together as one in Jesus. All kinds of people. All kinds of people. Now, we're, we're going to look at, at a passage in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, one of the, the Old Testament prophets. And, um, and, and he's going to be talking about three different kinds of people. People from Israel, people from Egypt, and people from Assyria. Now, the people from Israel, those are the kind of people that we think, okay, those are the kind of people that are God's people. Right? They're, they're the ones that are abiding by the law. They're the ones that are praying. They're worshiping. They're not perfect, but they're nice. You know, They're the law-abiding. They're, they're the good neighbors. And they're the ones that, okay, yeah, those are the ones that should be there, that God should come and rescue. But not people like people from Egypt. They, they shouldn't. God shouldn't come down and rescue. God should come down with a Hot Wheels track you know, for them. So you don't remember Hot Wheels track? It was to, to whip people. Huh? I, I, sorry, I went back. That was judgment. They should come down with judgment. Egypt. I just got a lot of blank stares on that one. Um, they, uh, they, but they were. The Egyptians were the enemy of Israel. The enemy of God. They were the ones that had enslaved them and oppressed them. They, for hundreds of years, they'd built their nation on the backs of of the people of Israel. So they, they should not be the ones that God comes down to rescue. And certainly not the people from Assyria. Because when Isaiah was writing, the people from Assyria, they were the people who were currently oppressing Israel. They were surrounding them. They would come in every once in a while and say, unless you give us this money or unless you give us this stuff, we're going to come and attack you. So, so they were oppressing them. They were causing them all kinds of fear, anxiety, and anger because they were just perched right on their borders and would just come in every once in a while and take some things. And eventually, a few years after this, they come through and they wipe out Israel and take them as, as prisoners into, into exile. So certainly not the Assyrians. God's not going to come down and bring them into this unity. But what we see is that when God comes down, He brings all kinds of people to be unified in Him. All right, it's Isaiah chapter 19. We're going to start with verse 16. Um, it's 564 in your pew Bible, if you want to follow along there. Let's, let's pray together. Almighty God, thank You for Your written Word as it speaks to us of um, the, the mystery uh, of Your plan, as You reveal that to us and as You show us how You carry it out. Thank You simply for the privilege of knowing the eternal truth of your plan. And we ask now that your Spirit would help us to hear that and receive it and how it applies and, and um, transforms us and, and transforms others and, and leads us into the more and more into the transformation of living in the reality of, of your goodness and your truth and your power, your love. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
All right, so the, the set the scene, Isaiah. Um, so Israel is surrounded by Assyria, as I said. But what's happened by th- this time is that the Egyptians are there, and Israel is tempted to get with the Egyptians and say, let's, let's connect together. So they're going to get together with their, their enemies, their pagan enemies, the Egyptians, in order to fend off the Assyrians. And God is telling them the first part of chapter 19, saying, no, don't connect with the Egyptians. They're as shallow and weak than, as you are. So they will be of no, no help. You need to trust me. And then he then leads into, he, then, he says, I've got a plan. I'm carrying out this plan, and I'm going to give you a little hint of what this plan is going to be. And that's where we pick up in verse 16. And you'll hear it a number of times where he'll say, on that day. So there's some day in the future that this, this will happen. Um, and uh, so, verse 16. On that day, the Egyptians will be like women and tremble with fear before the hand that the Lord of hosts raises against them. And the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the plan that the Lord of hosts is planning against them. On that day there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. One of these will be called the city of the sun. On that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the center of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt when they cry to the Lord because of oppressors. He will send them a Savior and will defend and deliver them. The Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know the Lord on that day and will worship with sacrifice and burnt offering. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. The Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. They will return to the Lord. And he will listen to their supplications and heal them. On that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. On that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people. And Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my heritage. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, so you see the divine design that he's laid out to Israel in, in that particular moment. Don't trust in Egypt. You know, trust in me. Here is my plan. Egypt will face judgment. They will face oppressors. And that will happen so that they will turn and cry out to me. They will turn and and realize they need a Savior. And they will cry out to me and I will come. And they will become worshipers, lovers of, of me just like you are. Israel. They will have an, an altar to me. They will have a, a pillar to me. They, they, they will worship and cry out to me. They will carry out even the sacrifices and burnt offerings, making vows to me. And then, even then, Assyria will join them. 
And so Egypt and Assyria, who are great enemies that Israel was always in between, they will now come together and worship God together with Israel. The nation of God, the people that God comes down to rescue, now are joined by the Egyptians and the Assyrians, rescued by one Savior and one God and worshiping Him together. That's the reason that Jesus came. That's the worship celebration we look forward to. I mean, in our own situation, our own context today, it'd be you can fill in the blank with Assyria and Egypt, whatever name you want, the North Koreans, the, the Russians, the Afghanistans, ISIS, Al-Qaeda. I mean, whatever it is, you think that's the furthest, the greatest enemy. Well, put, plug them in. That's the one that Jesus came to say. In, in your own situation, if you're right wing, then the furthest left wing. If you're left wing, then the furthest right wing. If you're in the middle and committed, then the most apathetic. Whomever it is, Jesus came to save, to bring them to know and to worship Him. Folks that are different sexual preferences, different sexual commitments. Folks that are atheists, folks that are different religions. Criminals, murderers, oppressors. The filthy rich and the lazy poor. The alcoholics and the workaholics. The sexaholics and the successaholics. All Jesus has come to me. And, And as you come to me, you will come together as one. He calls folks to trust in Him for salvation, for forgiveness, for transformation, to become former, whatever the identity level label was, and to now be identified just as Assyria and Egypt and Israel were identified as my people, as my handiwork, as my inheritance. No longer Egyptians, no longer Assyrians, no longer even Israelis. But God's people, God's handiwork, and God's inheritance. So if God can call the Egyptians and the Assyrians and all in between, then He can call anyone to gracious transformation in Jesus. And that, again, is what Advent is about. It's about helping us recognize all that happens in the manger. All that happens in the incarnation of, of Jesus being born. That it is, it, is, it, it is to a much greater extent like my father bringing the game or the food. It's not just a distraction. But he is one who accomplishes our transformation, our sanctification, our being made holy, our forgiveness. He accomplishes that and He draws us to Himself. And as we, from the right to the left and everywhere in between, as we focus on Jesus, then we come together as one. We are indeed connected in Jesus no matter our differences. And this has been the divine design since the beginning. Now, the, the, the place that you see that, um, I think really uniquely, is in Luke chapter 2. Um, with the Simeon. Now, Simeon is this a prophet, and uh, um, he is, is one who has been um, 
And the Lord has told him, you're not going to die until the one that I send, the one who brings peace, the one who is the Messiah, the anointed one, from, until he is born, you're not going to die. And, and so th- this is just after Jesus is born and uh, Mary and Joseph are coming to the temple and Simeon meets him. Now Simeon would, would be one who has studied the scriptures. He knows these stories. He knows the divine design. He knows Isaiah 19 and all the other passages in the Old Testament that talk about everybody being included in God's people. And so this is what happens in uh, Luke chapter 2, 27. When they, when they finally meet, when Simeon meets Jesus, uh, 27 of chapter 2. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The Gentiles are the Assyrians, the Egyptians. Gentiles are everybody that's not Israel, just like you and me. And Jesus is the one who now brings those together. So, so it's, it's when, when Simeon is there, when Jesus is born, he's like, yes. Now what we've been reading and studying about, what was promised hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, what was God's plan, we now see this next step in His plan in flesh and blood right in front of us. We're another step closer to that day when we all gather before Him in one voice. Christmas is is that not only that sign, but that reality. So, friends, and that, that means that this, this passage in Isaiah, that this uh, gathering at the manger with Jesus, this is good news for everybody. This is good news for my enemy and your enemy. For my Egypt and your Assyria. This is good news for them. You know, those that we don't want to be saved, those that we don't like, those that we disagree with, those that we don't know and really don't even want to know. This is good news for them. That's why Jesus said, you know, to to pray for your enemy, to bless your enemy, because this is why he was coming. This is right in alignment with what he's about. He's calling the Assyrians and the Egyptians in my life, in your life, in our life. He's calling them to himself. Don't you think that Isaiah 19 would have been a really hard thing for the average Israeli to read? I mean, in that day when they're surrounded by Assyria, when they're, you know, they're, they're, they're ticked off at the Egyptians because they're really just sitting over there not really helping and the Assyrians are there taking advantage of them and yet Isaiah lays this out right in front of them. Hey, those folks out there, they're, they're going to come and be my people too. Those folks over there, they're going to be my people also. You know, what I love here and, and for us to be such a diverse group, it's like some people, your enemies are other people's friends, you know, and your friends are these people's enemies. You know, it's just some of you, you're more comfortable sitting next to people with a lot of ink and piercings than you are with somebody with a coat and tie. And, and others of you are more comfortable with somebody with a coat and tie than, than the other. And so it's a beautiful expression of that diversity of the power of the gospel to all. When um, 
uh, was in uh, Europe this uh, fall, and the, the stairs, and uh, my wife Kathy and I, um, uh, we visited with the Schmitz, um, with Lisa um, and Jörg Schmidt, and they were working in Germany, they'd been there for a number of years, and they work with refugees, uh, um, uh, folks from Iraq and Iran and Syria um, particularly, and, you know, and their city would have 40,000 refugees a year come, you know, so they've had close to a, um, yeah, a, a quarter million uh, people and just in their city uh, from these other places over the last five uh, years. And so their, their ministry is connecting with f- refugees from those places. And they will have a number. I mean, there are you know, traditional Christians that have lived in Syria since Jesus, basically. Um, and and they were kicked out of Syria during all the, the war of the last uh, several years. Well, also, um, and so they're there, and also the same thing for some folks in Iraq and also in, in Iran. Um, but there's also a, a slew of Muslims that have been kicked out because they weren't the right kind of uh, Muslim. And, and they're also joining with them. They're part of this quarter of a million. And they're, they're all participating in the ministry. And a number of, of folks that are Muslim will come to the church and literally say, I want to know more about Jesus. You know, what, what I've experienced of Islam, I, you know, it doesn't work for me. I want to find out more about Jesus. And, and literally people will do that. And they will um, share the gospel with them, baptize them. And they have uh, Muslim background believers that are also participating in the, in the church um, together. And we were with Lisa and Jorgen. We asked them, what's the most difficult aspect of this ministry? You know, because you're bombarded with people, all kinds of needs, changing you know, language, helping them engage with the, the country that really pr- that does provide for them as they're there so that they can learn the language and work. and all, I mean, a whole lot to address. And they said, well, the most difficult thing is getting the traditional Syrian, Iraqi, and Iranian Christians to receive the Muslim background believer. That's the most difficult thing. Well, and you think about it. You've been living as a persecuted minority in these countries under under Muslim rule. You were were always having to run, always having to to look, be sure that nobody was looking at you or going to turn you in or do something against you. And now that, that same rule has now kicked you out of your home. And you've had to take your family. And who knows how many hundreds and thousands of miles you've had to travel to get there. And now you're there. And now you're telling me that these same people are now coming here with me. They're, they're taking the house maybe that I could have or apartment I could have. And now they are coming and want to follow Jesus too. That is a powerful call on the traditional Christians who have had a lifelong journey of distrusting and opposing and even hating. And now they're coming to Jesus. For us, you know, we're not connected to that emotional connection or disconnection. But we all have our Assyrians and Egypt, Egyptians in our own lives whom God loves and whom Jesus came and is calling to come and to know Him. So this is, this is really good news for our enemies. 
It's also good news for us. Because sometimes I can be my own worst enemy. Sometimes you can be your own worst enemy. And, And I'm here to tell you, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how wrong you may have been, God can call you to follow Jesus just like he does the Egyptians and the Assyrians. He can cleanse you just like he does the Egyptians and the Assyrians. He can call you to to trust in Jesus, to receive that forgiveness for whatever evil act you've done, whatever blasphemy you even may have committed. Jesus' power is that great to welcome you into his family, to be his people, to be his workmanship, to be his inheritance. That's the power of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. For anyone to be in the family of God. And you you may say, you know, you don't know just how deep a hole I've dug for myself. And, 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 and you might even still be digging. <laughs> you might even still be digging that hole now. You know, by, by saying, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to trust. You, you got that sense in your heart. You know God's that powerful. But it's really hard to, re- to put the shovel down. And receive that grace and that mercy. And, and I want you to know, if you dug yourself a hole, the Egyptians, they dug a canyon for themselves. And, and the, the, the Assyrians, I mean, they had some John Deere equipment digging their canyon. And yet, they have been brought into the family of God. That's the divine design and the power of Jesus in His grace. One day, there will be a party and a celebration, unlike any other. There there will be folks from Israel and Egypt and from Assyria. There will be Republicans and Democrats and Independents. Um, There will be Muslims and Hindus and atheists. There will even be Presbyterians and Church of God in Christ and Syrian Orthodox and Southern Baptists. There will be the filthy rich and the lazy poor, the oppressed and the oppressor. All former, whatever label they had. And given a new identity as the people of God. That's been God's design since the beginning. That all former sinners who trust in Jesus are called to be God's children forever. That's the divine design from the beginning.